All right, I am Haggai Davis III, along with Haggai Davis II, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Our show is a conversation about the past, present, and future of all things technology that we like to keep topical, interesting, and digestible. We want to thank our sponsor, Cardinal Capital, for making this possible. Cardinal Capital connects businesses to capital. It doesn't matter what business that you are in, Cardinal Capital has the resources all across the United States that are willing to help fund organizations of all sizes, life cycles, categories, and locations. Cardinal Capital works with you to craft the best commercial finance package for you to achieve your business goals. Whether you're looking to refinance current debt because of the new government programs and favorable interest rates, or finance new equipment, or maybe you're trying to acquire another business entirely, Cardinal Capital has the resources to make it happen. When lenders cannot do a loan, they seek out Cardinal Capital to help. The Cardinal Capital guys are easy to work with and fun to be around. Contact them today at 225-308-3700 or send them an email at info at cardinalcap.net and they'll be happy to help you with your commercial finance needs. So each week we do like to get a listener question and try to answer that. Didn't get one this week. If you would like to submit a question to us, please go to our website, techgumbo.net. Go to the, the question of the week tab. Submit your question. If we use your question, we will send you a big, beautiful tech gumbo mug. Now on to the news and updates. We talked about in the past how Amazon was trying to buy the Roomba maker iRobot. We had a lot of concerns with it at the time, mostly because there was uh, a lot of very open speculation that Amazon was doing this because they wanted the data that the Roomba was going to make its way around your house and learn a lot more about you, and that was going to be used to sell some even better ads. This is part of why the EU decided to block it, but mostly the EU is worried about competitiveness, that if Apple were to buy this company, dump a bunch of money into it, and blow it up, you would crush the competition and... There would no longer be any other devices in the market. It would simply only be the Amazon iRobot and everything else would be left by the wayside. Amazon was going to buy iRobot for $1.7 billion. But because the EU has come out and said, we don't think so, we're, we're shooting this down, the whole deal is off. But because of the contract that Amazon signed, they still now are going to have to pay a breakup fee to iRobot of $94 million. The back end of this is pretty bizarre to me. I don't understand. So Roomba is laying off 350 people or almost a third of its staff, but they're getting a $100 million paycheck from Amazon. They're, the restructuring is expected to save them another $100 million, and they're reducing their R&D spending by $20 million. So you have $100 million coming in and $120 million not going out. Why are you laying off a third of your staff? Well, because you don't want to go into the air purification or the robotic lawn mowing business. That's where Amazon had said they were going to go and they were building their staff towards that. And so if you're not really interested in building out those other products because big Amazon was going to do that, well, then you don't need them, don't need them around anymore. 
It's not about the money. So if, if you're not going to those other products, is it because you don't think they would have been good products? If, if those would have still been profitable things that were worth your time and investment, why are you not investing them anymore? Is the only reason that you're going after them to swallow up large portions of the market at a cost that is being able to be absorbed by the fact that Amazon has unlimited pockets so that you could crush the market? Maybe. And that is why the European Union blocked this. So moving on, the big story this week has a lot to do with Generation Z, or the Zoomers, if you will. Apparently, they are not as concerned about cybersecurity as one would hope. We don't want this to just be shaking our fists at the younger generations. But we don't want to just sit there and bash on... Oh, those kids today—they don't—they don't understand. They—they they don't know what it's like. The let's not—we're trying to trying to avoid that tone, but it is important to be able to discuss generational attitudes differences, and so that's what we are trying to understand here. And it seems like they just, yeah, as you put it, are less interested in cybersecurity and digital hygiene. So this is a generation that. Their entire life has just heard about one big hack, one big data breach, one big security leak after another, after another. They may have had their accounts hacked over the years. And so it's just, okay, not a big deal. So you get hacked. Everybody gets hacked. Yeah. And they've all, they also say, well, my data is being collected anyway. Facebook already knows everything about me. Google already knows everything about me. At least if they're hacking it, they had to steal it as opposed to Facebook and Google who just get it for free. And so there really is this kind of disillusioned feeling about their relationship to cybersecurity. The Generation Z, they're not as concerned with learning about the technology as they are just with using the technology. There's a line that says you know, people haven't gotten more tech savvy. Tech has gotten more people savvy, which is a brilliant way to say, hey, I just want to use my phone and I can download an app and I can do that. Everything that we have placed in front of them that we have worked for the past 20 years to design is to make a smoother, easier to operate interface wherever you don't have to see all the gears turning. It just works. And if you never have to pry something apart, if you weren't there to see it built, then you are just kind of less concerned with that process. But the problem is, is that cybersecurity, literacy, you know, good digital hygiene matters. That every attack is not guaranteed to happen. We cannot be fatalistic about the fact that there will be data breaches. You know, small inconveniences to ourselves can have large, large savings in terms of the risk that we reduce. And as somebody who started off with Microsoft DOS, where you actually had to type in commands, and now all you got to do is just download your app and your app will do everything for you. I mean, I get it. I can see why they they don't care how or why. It just does it do it? And that leads to a whole lot of problems when it comes to cybersecurity. And not only cybersecurity, but also trust that they fall for online scams more often 
not than just millennials, but then their grandparents. Gen Z are more likely to be victims of romance scams, identity theft, and phishing. And so clearly it shows a, a lack of the ability to discern what is a trustworthy source, what can I click on, what can I do, and they're just wandering out there uninterested, unconcerned about what could be the consequences. Yes, the Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel has made a strong effort to make members of Generation Z, those born between the late 90s and early 2010s, try not to be a victim of cybersecurity. Don't let your personal life, your professional life get ruined because people get all of your information. They get into your your banking, your everything information, and it can really lead to a lot of struggles if you don't take care of yourself. Yeah, and it's interesting to to separate this out because you know Gen Z does spend more time online than anyone else, and so you could say, oh, well, if you just if more of your life is online, then you just are open to more risks. But it's not like millennials are that much less online than they are. Millennials still spend a lot of time socializing online. They spend a lot of time shopping online, banking online, dating online. But millennials are one-third as likely to fall for scams as Gen Z. That is just an incredible difference right there. And it, it really has to come from the fact that millennials saw the change over time, that they saw what it looked like in 2000 and in 2010, so then by the time 2020 came around, they were able to have to develop that kind of sense about what is trustworthy and what isn't. Propaganda only works if you can't recognize that it is propaganda. And I think that's where Gen Z is, is that they didn't see the creation of it. And so it's much harder to identify for them. That's a fascinating point that the, the fact that this younger generation just is they're more interested in what's happening on TikTok, and they're much more interested in getting in discord and talking with their friends than actually opening up an excel spreadsheet and and working through a, a mathematical problem and that's what this article is saying is that they 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 have no problem going to any website and buying anything from anywhere, whereas a baby boomer like me is going to go buy somewhere from Amazon because I know I can trust Amazon. Gen Z is just, well, if it's an online site, okay, I'll find it and I'll, I'm good. And that'd be a scam site. Well, also, the internet is just much more condensed today than it used to be 10 or 20 years ago. And so 10 or 15 years ago, you had to be able to pick through things. You had to be able to sort things. The fact that there used to be some sites that were good that you go shop at and some sites that you were bad to shop at. Whereas now, almost all online shopping is done through Amazon. Maybe you have one of these the brands like Shopify or maybe you go to Walmart, you go to Target. But that represents an overwhelming majority of all online shopping. Whereas 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. And news came from a lot more different sources. Entertainment came from a lot more different sources. Where now, I'm guessing if you were to look at hours logged online, you would see YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram overwhelmingly dominate. And so 
the fact that it's just these small sources, well, you already trust them. You don't have to develop that sense of, is this reputable? Is this trustworthy? It's already been vetted by someone else, and you never have to build that skill. And when you consider older Americans want to go to the bank, they trust their bank. They, they trust their, their stores that they like to go to. Younger generation, this Generation Z is a little more carefree with where they bank. They're, they're a lot more likely to use an online bank that's only an online bank as opposed to that brick and mortar that has certain has certainly has online capabilities, but it's a brick and mortar first. And there's a lot more problems when it when you're just dealing with just a website that's where you're leaving all your money. It's tough to go over there and knock on the door and say, I'd like to talk to a banker. Yeah, I think the point about trust is really important that it's it's much easier to insert a scam into an online aspect than it is into a physical aspect. And so, you know, there, there's not a fake bank set up right next to the real bank. You know which one you're walking into. It, it's very easy to say, ah, yes, this is actually a JP Morgan Chase, as opposed to if you click on a link, it's much easier to make a link look like the Chase website. And so if you haven't had to sit there and really parse through what are the tells of a scam website, if you know just all websites look the same to you, well, then you are going to fall for those scams at, at a higher rate. So if you're part of the Gen Z, we hope that at uh, some point you're going to grab hold of some better cybersecurity hygiene. If you're raising a Gen Z, you might want to have a better conversation about cybersecurity. I think it is important, though, that we don't just blame them. I think that the responsibility for user safety should not fall solely on the shoulders of the users, that those trusted apps can be doing a whole lot more to build safety and to educate their base. Much like how your company will occasionally send out test phishing emails. And you know, if you click on it, they say, hey, look, this was designed to look like a scam. You fell for it. Here are the things to avoid in the future. Instagram could do that as well. Facebook could do that as well. YouTube could do that as well. They could be taking steps to educate their user base, but they don't because they would just make a lot of people angry. My guess is that these scams would end up looking like things which already exist, and they would make a lot of people angry to reveal the fact that these are scams. And so we're in this weird place wherever these companies could be doing more. It would be difficult to make the business case for it in the short term, but I just think that long term, having a populace which better understands how to pick out scams, how to pick out bad actors online, that has to have long-term benefits. And it's just, can we convince these companies to make that investment in the future? And you're, I mean, you're very right. I mean, Instagram, TikTok, by design, they are very, very convenient. And, and you can have your phone just stay open. So that's all you see, just the first thing. And, and you don't have to put in multi-factor authentication to get to it. You don't have to go through extra steps to get there. It's just bang, you tap the screen, it lights up, and now you're looking at TikTok, and 
you've fallen down a two-hour rabbit hole of TikTok. Moving on to more criticisms of TikTok, we have talked in the past about TikTok's attempt to separate out the American portion of the company. So they have the ByteDance US, which is called Project Texas, which is a, an amusing name in and of itself. This is their attempt to you know, have all the American data sit on American servers, run uh, algorithms that are also stored in America to really try and get out in front of a lot of legislation and a lot of regulation that could be coming if TikTok wasn't playing nicely. And the question is, how well is this wall that they're building actually going? So it's an interesting term wall that you've used that they've built. They probably did build a wall, but they've got a lot of doors in that wall that open, swing wide and come back closed for a while and open up and close. And it just depends upon how walled off that information needs to be at any given particular moment. Officially, the U.S. data is not supposed to leave. It has to leave. It has to be aggregated. It has to be anonymized. And it, it should not be in a way wherever the Chinese employees can access it and, and really pick it apart. But many of the Project Texas data protections have devolved into what one employee calls a wink and a nod, which is not a ringing endorsement. Officially, Project Texas does prohibit the user data, but in rare instances, like when somebody really asks for it, they're told no the first time, but by the second or third time they ask for they get whatever they need. And so the information moves on overseas. And interestingly enough, this only happens in the United States. No other country walls off their data back to TikTok. Yes, there there is no European version of this. There's no Project Brussels. There's no Project South Korea. There's no Project Tokyo. It's only America which is trying to force this separation. And I think that's interesting because it also kind of shows the impossibility of this task that while there are a lot of users in America, we definitely are not the majority of global users, maybe not even the plurality. Whenever you start to aggregate Europe together, users in Africa, maybe users in South America and Central America, that they all use a lot of TikTok too. And so are you really going to try and separate all the American data out? Because the American data is still trained in the same way. It's still the same algorithms. And so it's just almost nonsensical on its face that you would truly be able to build this separation between the American data and the, the Chinese employees if all of the rest of the data flows back and forth. Well, remember, in Europe, they have the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, so they don't need a Project Texas over there. They've got a Project Europe, basically, where if you're going to be on that continent and you're a social media platform, you already have laws that you have to comply with. There is no only in the U.S. kind of thing, wink and a nod, so to speak, as, as you pointed out earlier. They're very serious over there, and they have no problem kicking you off of their continent. So maybe maybe the U.S. should look at 
something even close to general data protection regulation here. I, I think you're absolutely right. TikTok did not build this out of the goodness of their hearts. They built it so that the U.S. wouldn't be motivated to build a copy of that. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission. And that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula, so proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4, and the show will rerun Sunday at 4. If you missed any part of our show or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast, which is available on most every platform, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Overcast, Player FM, and more. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.